All right. We got a great uh, message in the 11 a.m. service from Michael Smalley today. He did a great job uh, uh, last night. Did a great job in the 9 a.m. I'm confident for the 11 a.m. He's a phenomenal storyteller. Just pulls us along the whole time. Give a big warm welcome one last time to Michael Smalley, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been a fun time hanging out with uh, your staff and your pastors and each one of you. And uh, who was there Saturday night? Did it go okay? Are you pleased? Good. I don't really care, but it seems like the appropriate question to ask. So, <clears throat> to summarize, uh, Wednesday night for service, I shared a lot about my love story, and I didn't actually get to finish it, and so I promised I'd finish that up this morning. Um, but if you remember, and you can put up that photo that I gave you, I, you know, my brilliant uh, man wisdom uh, decided that the best way to get that beautiful girl on the left, Amy, to notice me would be clearly to become a male cheerleader. So there I am in my gorge. Look how short those shorts are. That's just humiliating. And so that's Amy on the left, and that gives you a better uh, idea of why I would go to the links of becoming a male cheerleader to get that hot thing to notice me. Um, and, you know, kind of, you know, this morning and in the first service, I talked about uh, how many of you I know are putting together uh, plans right, for your life, for your relationships, uh, you're following your own will, and I, you know, I just want you to make sure you hear out loud that your plans are stupid. Uh, your plans are equivalent to uh, Luke's skinny jeans. You're going to wear those on your big man up weekend? With your pointy boots? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Just felt wrong not to mock him. <clears throat> and, and so just remember that your plans are stupid, but God's plans are insane. Who can agree to that? Right? I mean, I, it, his plans never make sense. And, and you rarely ever understand what's going on uh, if you're being obedient it just sounds insane because the woman of my dreams who I'd been in love with since I was a freshman at Baylor, I'm now at the end of my junior year and it's the first time in my life I've, I finally got it in, the, in, in my soul, in my heart of hearts. I finally surrendered the idea of ever getting married. I finally realized that, wait a minute, does God even want me to be married? Wait a minute, is it Amy that he wants me to marry? And, and so I let it go. I realized that I don't need Amy or marriage in order to be happy. I just need God. He'll give me everything I need. So just, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and if you remember, if you're there Wednesday night, he uh, like, felt like he appeared and, and he said, hey, I want you to immediately go say goodbye to Amy. And I was like, yes, finally, he's flushing this chick out of my system. So I went over to her apartment and lo and behold, when I knocked, she was on the phone with her future father-in-law talking about calling the wedding off. And I come knocking. And, and if you remember, I was, I was going to declare my undying love for her in that moment and praise God that there really is a God. 
and, and the Holy Spirit really does speak to you. And as I'm hugging her and she's sobbing and we're close, you become like family, right? If you remember, I wasn't just in the friend box. I was in the brother box, which was very uncomfortable. I was, couldn't figure out how I was going to transition from brother to lover. It was like, you know, you got to go through some incestual dealings there. So... Here I am, and, and I want to, you know, confess my undying love for her since I was a freshman. And the Lord was like, whoa, moron, that's not the plan. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not the plan? And then he just went, look, just ask if there's anything you can do to help. I was like, oh, all right. So I did, out of obedience. And then he very cruelly made me drive her to the uh, mall to buy my father's books to help her with the other guy. Does that sound like a good plan to win the girl over? I even set him up on a conference call with my father, a private conference call. And, and, and I just kept praying and I kept seeking his will. And, and, and at, at, when I left for Mexico, right, um, if you remember the, the, the moment that finally got her, you know, to be able to end and give back the ring was on a canoe trip. And why did that happen? Because as she's canoeing, you know, when I took her to the mall and I was so mad at God for making me do this, how sick this was, there was a woman in distress on the side of the highway, which being a God-obedient kind of dude and a man and being taught that the most important thing I can do is honor, honor women, I pulled over. Well, that stood out to a 22-year-old Amy, Right? I pulled over to see how I could help this woman whose car was like in flames. And so it was three weeks later. I'm in Mexico, desperate, right? Still in love with her, but not being allowed to pursue her at all. She hadn't given the ring back yet. She's on a river in Texas. And, and, and wouldn't you know, and, and to this day, I wonder if it wasn't like two different angels or maybe the same angel. Because it's too perfect that there would be a woman in distress with me that I stop and help and now they're on a canoe trip, and there's a woman on the side of the river crying in the middle of nowhere. Amy says, hey, we need to pull over and help her. And, of course, her fiancé said, no, we don't have enough time. We'll get too far behind. Someone else will help her. And that was the moment in her head. What do you think she thought? Well, Michael Smalley would have pulled over. What am I doing with this guy? Now, she still didn't look at me as a lover yet. I was still a brother. But it it made her realize there are better people out there for me. And meanwhile, I'm in Mexico, living in a motel, not in the beach district like all 29 other students. There are 30 students in the program. 29 of them were placed in luxury resorts on the beaches of Mazatlan, except for one, me. I was placed in downtown Mazatlan which is very different than beachside Mazatlan. It's like 30, 40 minutes away from there. I was in a dirty motel, a motel. The sign was shot out. There was green goop in my shower. I had to go to other people's showers just to, just to get clean. At night, the, 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 the only employee of the motel would always come to my room because I was the only one insane enough to stay there. And he would, he would, he loved beer. And so he would have a pack of beer and he begged me to go up on the roof and he didn't speak any English. It's actually where I learned most of the dirty Spanish words. 
I know, he loved to teach me dirty words, but he wouldn't tell me what they are. So the next day I'd go to my teacher and go, hey, what does this mean? And she'd be like, whap! Don't say that word. I'm like, what does it mean? I didn't know that. And we'd count the rats from the roof. The rats were like this big. And so on the day that she gave back the ring, this is just more God proof. Okay, a week earlier, the Lord had woken me up in the middle of the night at two in the morning. And he had said that um, I want you to write a letter of encouragement to Amy. She's really discouraged. And as a friend, just tell her all her character traits and personality traits. And so I did. I disobediently at two in the morning wrote this letter. No idea why. Frustrated that he refused to release me uh, to romantically pursue her. Because when word got out on the street that she had ended her engagement, One guy that knew her from Baylor was living in Alaska, flew to Houston, took her out on a date, and proposed. She's telling me this over the phone while I'm stuck in my motel. Another guy took her out, third date proposed. I mean, people were proposing, they were just coming out of the walls or the sewer. And and here I am, I get to write a nice letter as her brother. But coincidentally... The day my letter arrived at home, her mother got super excited because my dad was at like the height of his fame and there was my name on the left side, Michael Smalley, and she knew we had stayed at her house many times when Baylor played Houston or whoever, Rice, and uh, she's like, oh, Gary Smalley's done. So she runs upstairs and sets my letter on her bed. The day she got that letter is the day she gave back the ring. I mean... How good is our God? How awesome are his plans? How dumb are ours? Right? My plan was become a male cheerleader. It's changed me in ways I'll never get back. Yeah, it is worse than skinny jeans. Nice comeback. You'll regret that later. Remember, I do this professionally. And I have no mercy. So she comes home after a four-hour drive. She sobbed the entire way back. It was the worst day of her life. She runs straight up to her room, doesn't want to talk to her mom, anybody. Jumps through the air and lands on my letter. And looks and goes, what is the deal? Like, God, why do you keep bringing this guy into my life every single time? And by the way, I just found out this next fact of our little story. When she read the letter, she was so overcome, and then the thought that came to her was, man, why won't Mike pursue me romantically? Oh, a male cheerleader, male cheerleader. She thought I was gay. (laughs) Because every guy always pursued her, and little did she know I was not, in fact, gay, but I was being obedient to the Lord. (laughs) So, eventually... She calls me, and she actually pursued me. She flew out to Branson, Missouri to spend time to see if she could convert from this is my brother to my lover, and we did very quickly. (laughs) It was quite a nice first kiss. And we got engaged in July. We got married, no, I'm sorry, started dating in July, got engaged September 30th, and then married December 17th, two weeks after she was supposed to marry the other guy who shall go unnamed, I've just always referred to him as Satan. 
And we had this cloud nine dating and engagement experience. And I was her knight in shining armor. And she was the woman of my dreams. We couldn't have been happier. And then 18 hours into our married life, we weren't speaking to each other. Yeah, 18 hours it took for both of us to fall off the pedestals we had placed each other on. And isn't that the truth with any significant relationship you have, whether it's romantic or brotherly, familial, right? Relationships are hard. It takes a lot of work. And in the first, how many were here for the first service? Okay, a lot of you. So in the first service, we learned why relationships break down, right? We get stuck in that miserable dance where our buttons are being pushed. and, And most men, the thing that you get upset about through our research The thing that bothers you most and what causes the anger is not that your wife is saying something. It's that when she says something that comes across critical, you're feeling criticized or you're feeling like a failure. The two biggest fears that men tend to have is feeling like a failure or feeling controlled. Can you relate to that? That's what gets you upset. And then for women, your two greatest fears, and we researched this with over 150,000 couples, Your two greatest fears are being rejected or feeling disconnected. How many ladies can relate to that? So what we learned in the first service is that when you get upset, it's never about the facts. The facts are totally irrelevant. And we learned about the relativity of reality, right? Two people can go through the exact same circumstance and walk away with totally different memories of what happened. And how many times have you gotten to fights over trying to prove whose reality is correct? How well does that go? I didn't do that. That never happened. Yeah, that always ends in sex. (laughs) Right, Luke? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) When you stick to the facts, you're missing what it's really about, because what it's really about are those deeper fears that we have that are a product of the fall, right? And so then I told you that in this service, I'm going to go over the best, number one way to break that miserable conflict dance, all right? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of relating to this because for some reason during break, and then I kind of stayed in there and turned off the lights and just was praying and resting and meditating. Uh, the Lord wanted me to fit what this thing is in the context of mercy. All right, so I've done a sermon. Uh, actually, it was the first sermon I think I ever preached after I had the gastric bypass surgery in South Africa. And I call it relentless mercy. But the skill, the thing that you need to learn in order to break that miserable conflict dance where somebody's escalating out of control, someone is totally shut down. Usually, escalators marry avoiders, right? That's my wife and I. My wife's an escalator. I'm an avoider. So when she gets hurt, when she feels rejected or ignored or unimportant or devalued, she boom. And then I now feel criticized or judged or condemned, and then I shut down, and I don't want to talk to her, and I punish her through silence. And so does that sound familiar to anybody? And by the way, this isn't just for couples. This happens with your children. This happens with your siblings. This happens with your friends, your coworkers. This is a universal pattern of dysfunction. It's, it's for me, yet just more proof that there is a God and, and a creator who, who made us because he made us for relationships, which is why the brokenness in relationships because of sin is, is 
identical across the globe. And so the, the best thing you can do is when, you, when conflict erupts. And how many of you can tell when you're getting upset? Is that a difficult thing? No. That's a super simple thing to know. I'm getting upset. So when that starts happening, do you think it is the wisest plan to stay engaged in that conversation? Does it ever go well? I mean, never. So I would suggest that you try something different. And the best thing you could do is what I now call a sacred pause. And a sacred pause is this, and I'll I'll give it through, of course, an illustration from my own dysfunction. But when my son was about 15, um, he was just really making poor choices. And as a father, who can relate that sometimes you just want to murder them when they're teenagers? Who has teenagers? And who relates? And I was there, man. I was coming up with detailed plans to end his life. And I realized I probably shouldn't go that direction because I don't want to go to prison because I was a former male cheerleader, so that's not going to end well. (laughs) And so I came up with the idea one day, actually God did, and one of my best friends was living at the time in southern China uh, in uh, Lijiang as a missionary with his family, and um, we're very close. And so I thought maybe Casey could take him for the summer. And just disciple them and let's show them, you know, the life of a missionary and and the life of people living in just terrible conditions. And Casey agreed. And so that meant that I was going to fly him there. But then he was going to have to fly back alone. Casey would escort him to Beijing. Then he'd fly from Beijing to Vancouver, which everyone knows Canadians are of no threat or danger to anyone. So we knew he'd be safe. I love Canadians. And I know I can pick on them because they are so sweet and passive. So... I knew, we knew he'd be fine, he's a seasoned traveler, but still, moms, would you be a little nervous with your 15-year-old kind of traveling home without a parent from China? Now, I thought, for me, a very good, if not great case scenario would be that he would break a law, and, and then, you know, the communists would break him over a number of years through canings and imprisonment, and I mean, what better way for a boy to grow up? And mature than being punished by communists. <laughs> so I was like, it's a win-win. He either gets home safe or he's arrested. I'm good with either at this point. So, so it's the night that he's coming back, all right? And obviously my wife is stressed. And remember, if you were there Wednesday or Saturday night, my coping mechanism is really inappropriate, dark, sarcastic humor. So I kept messing with her all day. Like, of all the different things that could go wrong, which, I mean, I have a PhD. What was I thinking? I totally raised her anxiety, because that's not her coping mechanism. And so, finally, you know, it's a 13-hour time change. It's like 2, 3 in the morning, and our phone rings, and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And it's Kim, Casey's wife. She's like, hey, we have an emergency. I'm like, oh, what did the moron do this time? And she goes, he lost his passport. I can't tell you how many times on the way to China I coached him. The one thing you can't do coming home is lose your passport. So what do we do when we get up from a flight? Check my passport. I'm not an idiot, Dad. I'm like, (laughs) stinking kid. First flight, he loses it. So now he's in Beijing. 
He can't get on the flight, and I'm making annoying dad noises, right? Like, oh, no, this is, oh. And my wife doesn't know what's happening. She's freaking out. She's like, what's going on? And she's so loud, and we're laying down. I'm like, shh, shh. Rule number one, never shush them. That's just practical wisdom there. So I start off by shush, and then she gets louder. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I go, will you just relax? No wife ever from the time of the caveman has ever relaxed when her husband has said relax. Right? It's like, relax, woman. They never go, thank you, wise and sexy husband. Now remove your clothing. I like pleasures now because you told me to chill. So that was mistake number two. And then I was like, finally I had to hang up with Kim because it was kind of getting out of control. So I'm like, Kim, let me call you back. She's like, what? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's, and I'm quoting myself, it's no big deal. It's just an emergency, <laughs> which is borderline psychotic. And at that final statement of the night, it really spiraled out of control. Now, you got to know, I have my PhD. She has her master's in clinical psychology. So, come on, man. Two marriage and family therapists just about to kill each other. And then when, when that, the relax, it's just an emergency. That put her over the top. So that's when the big guns came out, right? And she just points at me and goes, this is all your fault. And I was like... Oh, no, now now I'm in, right? I'm not shutting down tonight. So I get out of the bed. I'm like, don't you dare blame me. We made this decision together, and just because he's a moron doesn't mean now it's my fault. You were on board, too. And So now I've moved to the foot of our bed. We, had, we used to have the sleigh bed, and I'm clutching the footboard. And I mean, things are about to get nasty. Have you ever had those? I mean, the kind where you're really ashamed and embarrassed the next day, and you're like, oh, well, that went real sideways. And so I, can, I feel it, she can feel it, and then, like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, my wife, because she rarely would disengage, right? Man, if I got her going, and then I responded, it, it wasn't ending until someone's dead. And so... She looked at me, and in a very sociopathic kind of voice, you know, I envision it's probably what Jeffrey Dahmer would sound like. She looks at me, and I'm, man, the fight is on. She looks at me, and she chooses to take a sacred pause, and she says, and I quote, you need to leave. This room is no longer safe for you. (laughs) She denies But I swear I heard under the bed. The shotgun, because we're Texans, that we keep over our headboard was missing. We don't keep a shotgun over our headboard. It's under our pillows. Now, I know that sounds like a threat, but I knew better. I knew what she was saying is, I've reached my limit, and if you don't remove yourself in this Exactly right now, you will regret it. 
this is going to get ugly and you're going to be hurt and I'm going to get even more hurt. And, and you just, it's a sacred pause. The best gift you can give any relationship is disengaging as quickly as possible as you begin to become upset. Really, I, I think of a sacred pause as uh, it's, 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 it's like being merciful. What's crazy about God's mercy, okay, and I want to read Joel. So this is Joel 2, 12 through 14. It's the message version, which I just love. But there's also this. It's not too late. God's personal message. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. And here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. This most patient God, extravagant in love. Always, always ready to cancel catastrophe. And that's what our relationships are when we, if I had stayed engaged that night. It, it becomes catastrophic. And the pain that we experience from a broken marriage or a broken relationship of any kind is, is the worst kind of pain that we can put ourselves through. And so the reason that I'm relating the sacred pause idea to God's mercy is right there. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all is said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust for your God. <clears throat> the reason you take a, a sacred pause in those conflicts and you go to your separate corners. So I did. I just went, mm-hmm, about face, walked out the door, got comfortable on the couch and spent the next eight hours trying to figure out how to get my son out of communist China which I usually forget, he did eventually make it, but it took, I think, 12 days. He got two, in two or three hours, they had gone to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, and he already had a passport. It took the communists 11 flipping days just to get him an exit visa stamp. So just remember that come voting season. I'm not making any opinions. I'm just saying... 11 days he was trapped. Now, praise God that through a matter of crazy circumstances, the Lord blessed my friend incredibly uh, financially through his family because they, you know, they discovered oil on 300 acres in the middle of the panhandle, like the ugliest property. It's like junk property, and now they're gajillionaires. And so, praise God, they, could have they, they were able to afford you know, 11, 12 days in Beijing. But the sacred pause and how it relates to God's mercy is that we are, our goal as a disciple of Christ is to be perfect. And we want to be like him. We're trying to emulate Christ. And, and one of the greatest attributes of God, how unbelievable your God is, is the fact that he loves giving us mercy. And so if you're just mature enough to take that sacred pause, go to God, and just say, what? Like, what do I do here? He delivers. He's going to give you his level of wisdom, his level of insights. I can't tell you how many times during sacred pauses I went into it firmly convinced this was 100% my wife's fault, that I was a victim, and never, ever will the Lord let you as an adult 
walk around believing that you're a victim. That's not, I promise, that is not what God is ever going to tell you. He will convict you every time of your part. That's where the reconciliation happens. And so what's crazy about God's mercy in Luke 12.32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And, and here's uh, one of my mentors shared this little uh, tidbit with me. And, and it just really kind of blew my mind. You know what is so insane about God's mercy? And, and remember, mercy means that you cannot behave poorly enough to outrun his love. So no matter how filthy your life is and how dirty your thinking is and how horrible your actions are, it can never outrun God. I mean, I've experienced this so many times in my own life. I used to be morbidly obese. I've lost 135 pounds. And, and I, I got to my heaviest because the evil one, because I, and I'm trying to be honest about this, but I think there has only been one time when I know that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that I disobeyed. And it was over food. He had delivered me. It was unbelievable. I'd lost 80 pounds. Uh, he had taken away my desire for fast food. He had taken away my desire for desserts. I mean, it was miraculous. And I'd been living so healthy for two years. But he told me when he delivered me that you're never allowed to eat dessert again. For two years, I obeyed that until my daughter wanted to stop by Starbucks and said, I want to get a mocha frappuccino. I was like, oh, what's a mocha frappuccino? And it's ice with mocha powder and coffee and, you know. And I was like, ooh, I think I'll have one of those. And the Holy Spirit said, don't you dare. That's dessert. I was like, it's not dessert. He's like, dude, you made an oath with me. This is serious. And I totally disobeyed him. That one the next day, I had two mocha frappuccinos. The next day, I had four mocha frappuccinos. And then, boom, I was off and running. And the evil one had convinced me that what I had done in knowingly disobey him was blasphemous, which isn't true. Blasphemy, as I understand, is knowing there's a God and actively choosing to reject him and not believe in him. But still, here I am, a pastor, and I'm in my brain, it got dark. I mean, it got real dark. And, and it's one of the most shameful things, at least in my relationship with God, that I've ever done. Even then, the Lord delivered me once again through the, the miracle surgery. There used to be like an 80% death rate with gastric bypass, like even up to like the 80s. So that used to be a very difficult, dangerous procedure, and they would only do it for people that had stomach cancer or something where they had to remove something. And now they've so perfected this that God not only, even though in my disobedience, delivered, I never was in pain after surgery, not one, not one ounce, maybe uncomfortable for a day. I only spent, I spent less than 24 hours in the hospital. I mean, it was a total miracle. My side effects from gastric are that I'm gluten intolerant, sugar intolerant, and dairy intolerant. Those are literally all the unhealthy things. And he orders extra gluten in his food. I was with him at lunch. He said, can you add gluten to my tortillas? I don't know if they can. I know they add heroin, but I don't know about gluten. 
I thought heroin was a very odd choice, Rhonda, but, you know, to each, to each her own. She's like, why am I involved in this now? And so mercy, like God's mercy is limitless. He is always there waiting to forgive. That's why we take the sacred pause in our relationship. That's why we give each other space so that we can get with God, so that we can ask him. He's going to forgive you. It's his good pleasure to give mercy. But here's the most insane thing that is messed up, that God takes pleasure in giving you the worthless sinner mercy. Do you know when God can actually give you mercy? This is what will blow your mind. It's at your worst. Imagine that. God loves doing something that he can only do when we are being the most disobedient to his will and his commands. How insane is that? That's why the sacred pause is so important. That's why our relationship with God and understanding and receiving and accepting his mercy, believing his mercy, that's what's really sad about a lot of us, a lot of you out here this morning, is you don't believe it. You think, no, not from what I did. But I know Pastor Tim and Rhonda, their whole team, they know. They've had to have it. I mean, the things that Luke has done in his life, would you want to confess your worst one this morning? No? All right. That probably makes sense. It's, it's extraordinary, his love. And I'm looking for a quote here. Yeah, Philip Holmes on Desiring God, and I'm old. i got to get my glasses Philip Holmes wrote, he's not ignorant of all the ways we've sinned against him. He knows everything we've ever done and is able to stomach it. His knowledge of who we really are will never hinder his love for us. He's even aware of the evil behind our righteous deeds, the intimacy by which the Lord knows us, but is able to lovingly embrace us as his children is supernatural. God's grace is mind-blowing. Every time I think of this reality, I'm brought to tears because I serve a God whose love and grace baffle me. Whoa. Can you hear that? Because it's real important when it comes to your, your relationships. That if you're not willing to take those sacred pauses when you're getting upset, and by the way, it's okay to get upset. There's nothing wrong with being displeased by someone's poor behavior towards you. In fact, it would concern me if you don't get upset. The Bible does not say don't get upset. It says don't sin in your anger. So should I be angry if I see a a stranger, a man attacking or abusing a child? Yes! And I absolutely should use that anger and that energy and that adrenaline to throw him off and to protect the child. So anger isn't the problem. It's how we do anger that matters. Right? So if we escalate, that's wrong. That only leads to more heartache. If we avoid and shut down and punish our, our, the people most important to us, that, that's sin. That's not okay. But if we are holding people accountable to their actions and we're setting healthy boundaries and we're standing firm 
and that we're confronting quarrelsome people. And we give them an opportunity to find healing. But if they don't, then we put firmer boundaries down. Those things are all good and healthy things to do. But you're not going to be healthy if you don't first take that sacred pause. And you're not going to get to tap into God's mercy for your sin unless you take that sacred pause. We're here. Uh, Man, I've been all over the map on these notes. I can't even find it. Oh, well, there's something that I want to close with. Um, It's... You know, it's during that sacred pause that, that you get to really experience God's work in your life. I mean, it's, I mean who can testify to that, right? When, when you really do just surrender and go to him, and, and he's just like, hey, here's what's really going on. You're like, whoa. He, he, will be, he will love you and guide you and correct you, and he's right there. At all times, I loved, I think, in one of the earlier services, um, maybe Luke said it, but it's like sitting right next to you right now. And you need to, to take notice of those opportunities, especially if you're married. Because if you don't take that pause and just sense the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, remember the gift of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to behave and be obedient to Christ's commands, which I think I said Wednesday is his love language, if you really want to live the fruit of the Spirit out in your life, you have to pause. Because then the Holy Spirit will come and give you kindness and patience and mercy and the ability to forgive things that are very, very hard to forgive. And it's okay if that forgiveness for a really deep wound takes you a while. It's just unacceptable for a disciple of Christ to ever take the stance that that was unforgivable because nothing is unforgivable. And you you have a gross understanding of forgiveness because it isn't for the person who hurt you, it's for you, right? Mandela made it famously that unforgiveness and bitterness is like thinking that you're poisoning your enemy when you're taking that poison yourself. You're just destroying yourself with that bitterness. And so you have to be willing to tap in during that sacred pause into a a merciful, gracious God. So I'm just going to ask everyone to close your eyes. And I'm going to, this is something I wrote, and and it's something I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me of what God is trying to tell you, right? Because he's not a distant God. He's a very personal God. And so I just want you to close close your eyes, maybe even just... Put both of your palms out on your lap or on your legs. And and I just want you to receive this because every one of these statements is true. This is what what he is desiring to give you and why you want to pursue a relationship with him. Little one, I have so much I want to give you. You are my child, my blessed one. Let me love you. It's okay. I'm right here. I see you. And even better, I see me in you. You aren't just some creation. You are made in my image. Take my hand. Lord, we just say thank you. Um, And we just want to pause even now in this moment. And I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here this morning, maybe you're new, maybe you've never 
cared much about God at all, but for some reason, God was still speaking and moving in your heart, and he made you come to hear this weirdo. And maybe he gave me the words that finally got through and pierced through your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So if there's anybody, just put your hand up so I can see you. I'd love to pray with you after. All right. Amen. Well, Lord, we love you. Help us be obedient. Lord, help us even in the hardest, angriest moments to just pause and to seek you and to seek your mercy and your grace and your wisdom. As all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Brother Michael. That was awesome. Sacred pause. May the Lord help us to remember that when we feel the, the tension rising, right? Tension rising. All right, married couples, come on down front. Gather around the altar here. Want to pray for you. You're coming up, Brother Michael. I'm going to have you lead in prayer for them. Coming up, uh, Sister Rhonda, if you will. Join me up here. All the married couples, make your way on down. (laughs) You can join them down there if you want. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. God is good. Just making your way on down. This is awesome. This is awesome. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. Amen. Just press in, press in so they can, uh, everybody get out of the little aisle way there. There you go. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, Rhonda, you you say a prayer, and then Michael, you pray after her, and uh, pray for the marriages here today, that we might bring glory to God and Learn to resolve our conflicts and be intimate with one another. and all, you, you know what to pray for. Father, we thank you for this divine appointment in your presence this weekend. And Lord, I am always amazed and in awe of the, just the deep, profound ability of the Holy Spirit. He knows what to say, how to say it. You love and care for us, Lord. You know the secret places of our hearts. You know our burdens, our concerns, our anxieties. The prayers, Lord, that we've prayed and we're still waiting for those answers. I just believe, Lord, that this has been an opportunity this weekend for us to be reaffirmed in the love of God, reaffirmed in the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of heaven. And Father, I just pray right now that every couple that is standing in this altar, that Lord, they'll be chosen by you to experience a greater measure of your love, your wisdom the deep dealings of the Holy Spirit, the strategies of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, I, I just pray that they will experience just a, a deeper drawing as a result of being in your presence today and of the Word of God and what was spoken. I pray, Lord, for a very special assignment of the Holy Spirit in their marriage. The areas, God, where they would have had tendencies and patterns to just revert into the carnality or just their own flesh, their old patterns. I believe, Lord, because of what they have heard, that, Lord, you're making roads in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, that the word of God will be watered and there will be a fountain of life that they're going to be able to draw from. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I just ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that you... um build within each and every one of these precious couples an overwhelming 
sense of kindness, Lord, in, in their reactions towards each other, that you build an overwhelming spirit of patience, Lord, that you build an overwhelming amount of uh, just that benefit of the doubt and that they let go of the things they need to let go of, that they disengage and, and drop things that, that need just to be dropped and, and replace these any of the negative uh, behaviors or the sin, replace that with kindness and patience. I ask that in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For mercy, mercy, mercy. Help us, Lord, to receive mercy and to give mercy. And remember the words of Jesus. Freely you have received. His love, his grace, his mercy. Freely give. Freely give. Let's be dispensers in our marriage, okay? All right. God bless you. Give your spouse a hug. Give your spouse a hug. My wife and I will be out to guest services to meet anybody that's new. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.